Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. Today I have my friend Rachel Atkinson on the podcast. Rachel is in one of my book clubs, a second-generation homeschooler who loves spending time with her husband and five children. Rachel loves the Bible, Charlotte Mason, literature, poetry, the office, and playing music on her piano. She also runs a real estate and renovation company with her husband, Ethan. You can find them at AthensRealEstateMan.com. I always enjoy hearing Rachel's insight at my book club. Today, we're talking about Loris by Eugene Vodoletskin. It takes place during the plague years of 15th century Russia, where one man's life is recounted from birth until death. Arsene is born as Russia enters a time of sickness and death. Tragedy marks his young adulthood and places a holy calling on his life. Yet in spite of all the turmoil he experiences, Arsene's life is one of redemption, healing, sacrifice, and deep love. It is a modern classic, a book that stays with you long after you put it down. Rachel and I both love this book, and I hope you enjoy our conversation today. Rachel, thanks so much for being here today. What were your first impressions of Loris? Did it take time to grow on you, or did you love it right away? Thank you for having me, Beth. Yes, it's so interesting because the book has a picture of a dragon kind of looking thing Mm -hmm. on it. So when I first got the book, I had no interest in reading it at all because I read the back of it and it had words like 15th century Russia, plague, pestilence, devastating life consequences. And I'm like, I don't know that this is interesting at all. And so the only thing that won me over was the person that recommended it was someone who literarily I trust. And so I went to her and I was like, hey, question, this seems a little wackadoo. And she's like, I'll be honest, I haven't read it, but my husband read it and he loved it. And so anyway, long story short, I am so thankful I read it. Mm -hmm. And this is the whole don't judge the book by the cover. Mm -hmm. So yes, I would say that once I actually opened the book and read, I give myself a 100 page threshold. Oh, So I like to read to page 100 before I decide whether to pitch the book. Mm -hmm. Even though recently I only read to page 23 of a book and then I decided (laughs) life is too short and I pitched it. And I will tell you that book is on every top 100 list. So just because other people say that books are worth reading does not mean Mm -mm. that they're worth your time to read. So anyway, 100 100 pages in, this book was in my hand Mm -hmm. to stay. So that threshold was certainly met. Okay, after we record, I'm going to find out what this book was that you pitched. And you don't have to say now. I will tell you. I can't tell you now because that would be like speaking ill of a friend or something. Right, exactly. And I cannot do that. But yes, I will tell you in private. Okay. (laughs) Now, I will say that when I first found out we were reading this book, I had seen it on social media and I had wanted to read it, but I somehow thought there was a time travel element and I thought it was modern day. So when I found out that it was 15th century and there was the plague and there was pestilence, that won me over. (laughs) (laughs) Opposite. 
opposite reactions. <laughs> because I love things about the plague. I'm a strange, I'm a strange yeah, person. But it was a little difficult for me to get into it at first. So my first impression was, I don't know about this. But once I got to a crucial part, which I can't spoil, which we know what the part was, and it, it's very harrowing for a lot of people, I was hooked. Hooked. I could not put can't, it down. Can't put it down. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I will say about the, you know, the harrowing experiences of this book is, you know, the, it, like it pulling you in emotionally mm-hmm. that the time travel element that you mentioned, yeah. I, I would counter argue and say there is a huge time travel element in this book. There is. But it is not based. In modernity, it mm-hmm. is based in this medieval time. So it's interesting because yeah. they handle things so differently in the medieval time. So when you're looking at it from like the modern lens, all mm-hmm. of a sudden our trials and tribulations are put in a different perspective. Very much so. And I th- yeah. think, I believe the author is a medievalist. He is. Um, yes. I, had a, I read a little bio on him. He's... Um, at the the school in Moscow, and he's right. the chair of literature, Russian literature, oh. and so he's been translating these medieval passages that have been, you know, found in villages all around Russia. Oh my goodness! And so he spent his life kind of, you know, opening up these fairy tales, and I think this idea of having this holy man on this yes. holy mission, you know, this was his penultimate idea. So I'm really thankful that it got over to America and got translated. I'm so thankful. Because otherwise, we wouldn't have this iteration of Russian Mm -hmm. fairy tales, at Mm -hmm. least. Yeah, yeah, it is an amazing book. Okay, so there are many characters throughout the novel. Because of the different lives Arseny lives, who were the characters you found yourself most drawn to? So like I said, there are are very many characters throughout this novel. And so I want to know, who is your favorite? I'll share mine after you share yours. Okay. (laughs) This is a layered question, and I've been thinking about it a lot, so I'm going to try to give the short answer. You can give um, the long I'll answer. I'll give the long answer. Fine. You asked me to, so now I'm going to give the long answer. So th- without spoiling the book, you know, the whole reading literally on page two, it talks about how this character of Loris is living basically different lifetimes, mm-hmm. and he has different names that he goes through mm-hmm. throughout his lifetime. And so... For me, there were aspects of this main character mm-hmm. whose name changed that I was particularly drawn to, okay. even though, like, the character, the person is the same, mm-hmm. but there were aspects of his character that were more compelling to me mm-hmm. as a reader, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I felt like Ambrosio was really amazing. I know, I think that that's actually going to be, yeah. Ta- yeah. but uh, <laughs> one of the one of the Italian um, characters that kind of is a secondary character. But honestly, even Ambrosio, he, like, amplifies some of Loris's at the time, arsony mm-hmm. of his like mythical healing powers, like they mm-hmm. they have this like kind of shared gift that's mm-hmm. different. But even he is a supporting you know member mm-hmm. of this of this team. So I felt like yeah, go ahead. I wanted to hear what you wanted to okay, say. Okay, so Ambrosio, definitely, Ambrosio. yeah, and his grandfather. I also love Christina, Christopher, Christina, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking for my favorite moment in Arsene's life is I don't know that's a that's a difficult one I would say maybe from the time he meets Ambrosio Hmm. you know I'm sorry not to change the subject but something I just had this thought because Ambrosio is like Italian for what would you say the closest English name would be probably Ambrose Mm -hmm. Ambrose 
So at the very end of the book, right before he's given his final name, which is Loris, that's where mm-hmm. Loris comes. His name was changed when he went into this monastery of Am- to Ambrose. And mm-hmm. it is the only time of all of his names changes that he says he was happy oh, at this right. name. And now it's in Russian, so it's spelled like with a V and a Y, but the pronunciation would be Ambrose. Oh. So we have the word, the name Ambrose in Russian and in Italian. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. I don't know if there's something about yeah. his connection to Ambrosio, maybe when he was renamed Ambrose, that he felt that connection to him. Mm-hmm. I, I think the reason that I love that section with Ambrosio is it's one of the first times within the novel that Arsene is not alone. I mean, there is an, another section where he's not alone, but this is someone who he he has a companion. There's a moment without loneliness, mm-hmm. an equal companion. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, because there is just a there's a loneliness that runs throughout the novel, and it just it made me remember and, and just brought to mind how the importance of community, of friends, of being with people who are like minded. Mm-hmm. So we're just as Christians, we're supposed to have fellowship, and so. When he doesn't have that fellowship, it's tragic. Mm. And so it's it's a beautiful moment when he has someone come alongside him. Well, it's an interesting point about coming alongside him because the majority of the section where they're together, mm-hmm. they're on like a pilgrimage mm-hmm. to the Holy Land, walking side by side on this endless road through trials and tribulations. A great analogy for us just walking side by side mm-hmm. on earth and our mm-hmm. relationships together. Exactly. So that's mm-hmm. a really beautiful thought. So next question that I have for you, because I love to hear Rachel's thoughts on books. Honestly, they are so good. Vodaleskin is an amazing writer, and his story is so rich, as we've already been discussing. I found myself thinking over many of the scenes in the book well after I finished it. Was there, and I know your answer, (laughs) I know your answer is going to be yes. Was there a particular moment in the story that was especially striking to you? Can you share the moment without spoilers? Ooh, oh, okay, <laughs> a challenge. <clears throat> so, you know, the thing about this book, because there are so many themes of redemption and forgiveness, mm-hmm. really, I wanted to say about the subjective nature of literature in general, that I read this book at a specific time in my life and a specific thing touched me. But if I read it again, or if you read it, or mm-hmm. you read it, or anyone else read it, something else might jump out and mm-hmm. speak to them at that moment in their life. But the thing for me in this reading of this book, there's this one scene moment in his life where he kind of, for the first time since tragedy, finds a little bit of a break. He finds a woman Mm. that cares for him. She has a son. He's like able to kind of become a surrogate father Mm -hmm. figure. And for the first time, he's kind of like happy and comfortable. And then one morning he wakes up and he goes, this is not in keeping with my holy purpose, Mm -hmm. with my mission. And I have to flee. I have to go and continue on with what I am, am supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So that in itself maybe wasn't that impactful. The impactful thing was in discussing it with someone else and her arguing to me that, no, he should have stayed. And and having that realization in my, in my head of, in that moment of when we sacrifice self to do the right thing, it usually doesn't make sense to the people around us but all the more reason for us to like trust our gut and do what we're being called to do, even if it doesn't make sense to anyone around us. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Because I initially thought that that moment, I was very upset because I wanted him, I wanted him to have a break. He was so alone. Like I mentioned earlier, the loneliness just, it really gets to you. And there was that moment where you were hoping that he's going to have a, this happy ending. 
But when Rachel brought out the part about a holy calling, it was just so profound. And I appreciated it so much. And it, it did make perfect sense that, no, this was best. He knew a little bit more than we did about yeah. <laughs> what he's writing with his story. Right. Right. <laughs> well, isn't that always the way when they go left and you want them to go right? Yes. And then you end up later like, oh, this was the more beautiful route, actually. Yes, exactly. Actually, yeah. Yes. So we touched on this earlier, but the main character, Arsene, changes his names frequently throughout the novel. And at the very, very beginning of the book, actually, the opening chapter, he, the writer, Bodoleskin, mentions that he will have multiple names throughout the book and nicknames, which I must have missed when I first read it because I got a little confused. He skipped right over that part. <laughs> I must have. But it is in there. His name changes, but his mission never does, just as you've mentioned just now. And would you mind sharing just a little bit more about how that relates to Arsene and Loris and really how it shapes his entire life from that moment on? Because it, it the book opens with him being a young boy. He's a teenager. And something happens when he's a teenager. And from that moment on, his life is on a different path. Yes. So i just like you to just, you mentioned it before, but yep. if you could just give a little bit more about the Holy Calling and sure. especially how it relates to our our lives. Yeah, absolutely. So, and yeah, this is a little, it's a little <laughs> difficult to do without spoiling the book. I know. So uh, I know. if you haven't read the book yet, y'all. <laughs> it's so good. Go read it. Yes. Um, so, you know, this idea that, you know, this grief-stricken thing happens and his realization and it, it is very weighted in the book. It is literally a man that he very much respects and look, looks up to that tells him that his recompense for mm -hmm. this grave error is to live his life in the service of this person, to live his life out as if he is living it for this on the other person's behalf, kind of. So this trajectory changes. And he's about 15, 16 years old at this point. So to have someone that you love and respect say, you know, your duty now is to live your life selflessly in place of this other person, that changed whatever he was going to do, right? So up until this point of his life, he was training to be a doctor. And so that's one of the names were given for him at the very beginning. It means hand. It also means doctor. And it had to do with like the place that he lived, Rukinets. And so this idea that he was in training to do something, and then all of a sudden he kind of had to change his mission. And, you know, we see him continue to use his training mm -hmm. in the service of others as he goes forward. But his life existing for his sole pleasure and purpose ceased to exist at that moment. And I think that that is one of the unique things of Russian literature that's different than American literature or Western literature, I suppose, mm -hmm. is that there's kind of a what do I want to do? What best mm -hmm. serves me and my interests? And so to read this whole book of someone selflessly, sacrificially laying down his life over and over again in the service of others is a very archetypal Jesus character. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to not be like drawn to that and also to like allow it to recalibrate our own purposes. Mm -hmm. Like, why are we doing the things that we're doing, reading the books we're reading, going the places we're going, maintaining the relationships that we're maintaining? You know, are we doing it for self or are we doing it in the service of others? So I think that the whole point of his name changing, I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. 
I don't mm-hmm. I don't know. But I think part of it is like the transient nature of life that mm-hmm. it's not your name really that matters. It's the impact that you have on others. Mm-hmm. And that's why his name was transient. But who he was as a person and what he was compelled to do, that did not change. Mm-mm. So, yeah, I don't think I spoiled anything there. No, you I did a great really job. Hard. Sorry. You did a fantastic <laughs> job. It's interesting. We've talked about this. But this book is very similar to another book, Kristen Lofren's Daughter. It's a trilogy of books by Sigrid Unstedt, I believe. Is, I believe that's her name. But it is just as in Loris, it's from the time that he's born until the end of his life. That's what Kristen Lofren's Daughter, it's the beginning of her life till the very end. And they're both medieval. It's just very interesting, very, very similar in some ways. So it might be a good companion read. It's on my list. It's very long. It's on my and, list. But it's worth it. I can't find it. As soon as I find it, I'm going to read it. Oh, no. It. Okay, I'm going to find I'll find uh, the copy help, for help you. Me find. Help yeah, me find. Yeah, I'll find you one. So there are many themes and ideas running throughout the book in addition to this idea of holy calling, atonement, forgiveness, guilt, loneliness, I mentioned before, the value of friendship. I want to take a little bit of a time to talk about how Vodaleskin so beautifully, because he does such a beautiful job weaving all of these themes into his story very cohesively. It doesn't feel fragmented. So just thoughts that you have on some of those themes. <laughs> oh, Beth, you know I have so many thoughts. I know. Um, so That's really, why I had you on here. <laughs> so, you know, really, uh, I actually want to back up and ask the question a little bit differently. Yeah. Not, not as much about, like, the individual aspects yeah. of the, like, themes running through it, but more like this idea of how to weave them mm. so seamlessly together. And I really think that this is partially just the style of book. I think Mm. fairy tales lend themselves to this kind of otherworldliness where we can have a little bit of fantasy mixed with a whole bunch of reality and then have all these components really seamlessly meshed in there where we can at the end, you know, identify ourselves in the villain and in the hero. And and that is how we're able to take on and really assimilate these complicated Mm -hmm. thoughts and feelings. And, you know, for me personally, this specific book came, you know, really as a balm to my soul at a very specific time because I had some kind of unresolved grief that I hadn't Mm -hmm. really dealt with. And so walking through this book really slowly with this book group, normally I read, you know, a book this size in a couple of days and then I'm done with it. But because it took me you know, two months because you guys made me read it so, so slow. The wonderful thing was I was really able to simmer and steep these ideas into my spirit. And it, for the first time in a very long time, was able to kind of find a little bit of like healing and closure in an area that felt like a, a constant wound that would never close, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is the power of story. This is why we not only yes. read stories, but we tell each other stories. <laughs> And this is why we're drawn to these really strong characters where we do see the flaw, but we also see the heroism. And it's when we see that, oh, a flawed person can also be a hero, that that encourages us to be the hero as well. Mm -hmm. And he's worthy of redemption. He's not thrown away, even because he, he makes this grave error at the beginning of the novel, that we do journey with him. It's just so beautiful how that's done. And I would say, like I've mentioned before, just that to see, especially in the time that we've been in, the loneliness that he experiences and just that that beautiful moment that I, I've mentioned before when Ambrosio comes and he has that person to come alongside him. It's just that need that we have for companionship in life. Mm-hmm. So I love that all of these things are, like I've said, woven throughout this novel, it's just 
very important things just for our own lives. And I just appreciate just how seamlessly it's done. It is a work of art. <laughs> I agree. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> Along with this, Rachel is going to share a very beautiful quote from the novel. It's when Ambrosio and he is, is he Loris at this moment? Or no, is he's he, Arsene still. Arsene. Mm -hmm. he, they are on a pilgrimage to the Holy Lands mm -hmm. and they meet a fellow, is it a monk? It is a monk. Brother Hugo. Brother Hugo. So he is, Brother Hugo is having a hard time leaving the group. Yes. And here yes, is sure. beautiful and, and Only a little bit more background. It's just, you know, they've been traveling together for mm -hmm. a while, a couple of months, right? Daily sleeping in the same area, you know, having all these conversations together. So they have a really intimate friendship, even though it's been short, mm -hmm. which I feel like we all can relate to. Like right. you meet that one person and you're like, oh, I love them so much. And then they're gone and you mm -hmm. never see them again. So then the question becomes, well, you know, the time that I had with them was great, but now they're gone and I hurt and I miss them. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do with that? So this is what this is what the book says. Brother Hugo says, sometimes you wonder if it's worth getting attached to people, if it will be this difficult to part with them later. Arsene slapped Brother Hugo on the back as he embraced him. You know, oh friend, any meeting is surely more than parting. There is emptiness before meeting someone, just nothing. But there is no longer emptiness after parting. After having met someone once, it is impossible to part completely. A person remains in the memory as a part of the memory. The person created that part, and that part lives, sometimes coming into contact with its creator. Otherwise, how do we sense those dear to us from a distance? So I love that because there is the temptation to not invest your life into someone that you're going to only meet briefly. And I feel as though this is calling us just as, as Christ does, that people, their lives have value, they have worth. And even if it's just for that moment, that may be the moment that you are supposed to be in their life and or they are supposed to be in your life and God is using that. So I, I think it's just a beautiful sentiment. I don't know if you have any further thoughts on it. No, I was impacted by it when we read it and I, when you brought it up, just thinking through it and thinking, you know, those thoughts that we have sometimes of, is it worth my energy mm -hmm. to invest in others? And I think the theme over and over that, you know, Loris is showing us is, yes, mm -hmm. you might not benefit from it, but that doesn't mean it's not worth it and worthy of it. Oh, yeah. So Be Because life is valuable. Every person's life has dignity and worth. So it's very much so. And it's very difficult as moms mm -hmm. <laughs> of yes. little ones to make it happen. And But it's well worth the effort. And it's something that's very, very needed, I think, in anyone's life. I think we do have that that epidemic of loneliness in some ways. I, ju I just love that section. I'd like to write it up and just have it committed to memory. Yes, I agree. <laughs> well, and I, th I do think, you know, we do have a little bit of an easier time of this and time we live in while we do have pockets mm -hmm. of isolation because of the internet and, you know, mm -hmm. technology, the ability to connect, we can now be as connected as we choose to be. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to hear themes of loneliness in a place where they literally are cut off from the yes. world is reasonable. And I know that sometimes we can feel lonely like we're cut off from the world, but the encouragement is that people are here for us. We just mm -hmm. have to reach out to them. Exactly. Yes. We're going to get into the hard part <laughs> <laughs> where we're not going to spoil things, but to warn everyone, if you read this novel, it's very earthy. There are some very violent moments in the book. It's not gratuitous. He doesn't linger over the moments. It is not salacious in any way. 
but there are moments of where it's very harrowing and can be graphic, but it is with a purpose. So with that little caveat, there are some upsetting and hard moments, as I've just said, which happen in the book, many, so be forewarned. But Rachel, why do you think it is valuable to read books like this and not shield ourselves from hard things in a book? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would like to say that if we rate the value of literature based on its cleanliness, that means we also can't read the Bible. Exactly. Because <laughs> I read a story to my kids this morning that had a whole bunch of wives and I was like yeah. really difficult to explain. And my my eight-year-old son, Ethan, is like, wait, so that's his wife too? And I said, <laughs> yeah, it's confusing and difficult. Anyway, my point being that, you know, I think the value of not shielding and of mm-hmm. exposing and, you know, we're talking about appropriate age, maturity, exactly. et cetera, right? Like this, I would say this is an adult or older teenager book, mm-hmm. personally. You know, when we self-edit mm-hmm. or when we when we try to, like, shield ourselves from difficult things, then when difficult things happen, mm-hmm. as they will, because we are sinners living in a fallen, sin-filled world, and bad mm-hmm. things happen. Oh, yeah, as we have evidence. <laughs> So when that bad thing happens, do you have the proper skills to handle that? Mm -hmm. And like sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. And I guess my point for this book specifically is something that I've been carrying inside myself for 15 years was soothed and healed in a way that it hasn't been Mm -hmm. through the power of this difficult story that otherwise you know, even being exposed to a myriad of beautiful and wonderful things, nothing quite had reached to that level of depth because Mm -hmm. you have to go really low sometimes that the Oscar Wilde quote, we're all looking in the gutter or we're all lying in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars, right? So when we look up at the stars, sometimes we're looking through the pages of books to Mm -hmm. see those stars. Oh, I love it. That's beautiful. (laughs) There is a very good article and I've mentioned it before on the podcast. And I don't think I've told you about it, so I'll send it to you. It's by Jessica Hooten-Wilson for Fathom Magazine. And she talks about the importance of reading hard things as Christians. So I will put that again in the show notes and I will send that your way because it's it's perfect. It goes along. I mean, she can say it so much more eloquently than I can. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm going to come to one of my favorite parts that I can't wait for you to share. You shared about keeping a commonplace book in our book club when we discussed Loris. And I'll have you share what a commonplace book is in just a minute because you did such a beautiful job. Oh, boy. You did. Thank you. (laughs) Would you mind sharing a few of the passages you copied down from Loris and explaining a little bit what a commonplace book is? Sure. And Um, why we should do it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Should I do the quotes first? I'm going to do explanation first. Do explanation. All right. So the theory of commonplace has been around as long as we have, like, Mm -hmm. examples of reading and writing. From the oldest that we can see, people are reading and simultaneously writing at the same time, right? So the idea of writing down something we're reading or a conversation we had or something we've been exposed to, that is not new. The word commonplace, I do believe is new. (laughs) Like I've never heard that word until like, I don't know, a couple years ago and all of a sudden it's like totally everywhere. But this idea I have been personally doing since I was a child because it was a habit that my mother cultivated in in me and my homeschooling upbringing. That's awesome. So there's a couple of different, and, you know, because I've been doing it for a long time, I have some hacks that I do and, you know, what whatnot. But specifically for Loris, I did a spread in my commonplace book of, like, 
specifics of the book that I wanted to keep track of. And then I have a separate section that is literally just verbatim word for word quotes. To me, a commonplace book is only valuable if you use it and write in it. So the idea of a really pretty notebook that sits on the shelf and never gets touched, while attractive, I guess, is useless unless we have it out and we're writing in it. And it doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to be enough that later when you wish to recall that information, you have some sort of method to kind of get to it eventually, right? Yeah. And this is the problem when we read a lot and we're, yes. and we're taking in a lot of content, you know, six months later, I don't want to completely have forgotten everything mm -hmm. I learned from this. And so for me to take an additional 30 minutes a couple of times in the course of reading a book to jot down my thoughts about it, it's it's worth it for me to go back later when my friend's like, hey, do you want to do a podcast? And I'm like, I do, because I have <laughs> copious notes about this book. So let's do it. Okay. So from a practical standpoint, as far as commonplacing, the way that I do it specifically is I sit down and I start by writing what I read the last time. Okay. So mm. a couple of things that I do differently because I am an avid reader and I like to read like purposefully. So I don't read at night before I go to bed. At all. I, I admire you. I'm sorry. I can't do it better because <laughs> my brain's like trying to shut down and I want it to be awake and firing on all cylinders yeah. when I'm, you know, devouring these books. So usually I do a lot of this first thing in the morning. So I, <sighs> so I'll get up with the book and I go back to where I started from the last time and I kind of look at any notes that I made. I make tiny little dots in the margin so I yes. don't really like, you know, mess the book up too much unless it really impacts me and then I'll like slather it with ink. <laughs> But a highlighter shall never touch my book. No. It just bothers my brain. Yeah. So then I kind of just copy it over and then I put my notebook away and I start reading. And from mm -hmm. that point on, I don't copy commonplace again and like while I'm reading. Because I personally feel like it detracts from the gravity of what I'm reading if I'm trying to also like slide it over. And also the whole idea behind like narrating back what we're thinking about like that allows time to read it, think mm -hmm. about it, go back the next day. And then what were the, you know, few things that were really impactful that I really want to transfer over? And, you know, just as an example, I have my notebooks sitting in front of me. I have a, a couple of 150 to 200 page books where my entire set of notes for that whole book will be two pages in my notebook. Mm. So we're talking about a distillation of information, you know, mm -hmm. down to like the salt in the bottom of the boiled pot, right? Yeah. Like, what was the thing I took out of this book? I just write things down that I want to remember and that impacted me that I think are beautiful. And I'm trying to just make it a common part of my day. We read, we write, we read, we write. I love that, Rachel. So yeah, well, I could actually read Laura's quotes for probably an hour. So I know. I'm just going to read a couple. Um, one of the very first ones, you referenced it back to when we were talking about the names. Um, but he said, life's parts sometimes have little in common so little that it might appear that various people lived them. And so this, you know, this idea that like, for mm -hmm. sure, people from my past maybe wouldn't even recognize me now, mm -hmm. even though my name might be the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another one was that was really great was he more than once regretted the things he said, but he never regretted his silence. Mm. Remember your absent friends when you are with those who are present that they may hear and know you do not forget them either. Oh, Isn't I forgot. That that's oh, beautiful. beautiful. Oh, Beth. Oh, my goodness. Life consists of partings, but you can rejoice more fully in companionship when you remember that. Mm. Arsene battled human fear as well as illness. He walked around the city mm. and prevailed on people not to fear, 
Now, mind you, this is in the middle of the medieval plague where people were getting sick in the morning and dying that night. Exactly. Okay. He advised them to take precautions. He warned against panic, which is ruinous. Mm -hmm. He reminded them that not one hair would fall from a person's head without God's will. And he called on people not to lock themselves away in their homes and forget about helping Mm -hmm. those nearby, for many had forgotten. Mm. Man, if that doesn't... I know. That was the quote that got me so much that I, I had to sit in silence for a minute with that, yeah. with that quote because yeah. it was so it it's seemed, so true and beautiful. It seems very currently applicable yes. to our life, right? It is, yes. All right, last one of the commonplace ones. This is at the very end of the book. So we've seen all the iterations mm-hmm. of his life. He's finally named Loris, which I have to say, y'all, pretty gratifying to read a 300-something page book <laughs> and finally get to the character's name at, like, exactly. page 312. Exactly. Know. So he's living in a cave, and he's mm-hmm. in isolation at the end of his life. He's, you know, slowly, slowly dying. So this is what it says. Sometimes Loris forgot about the hanging block of stone in the middle of the cave, and he hit his head hard against <laughs> it. After wiping away the tears that had come, he blamed himself for his pride and unwillingness to bow his head. Smiling, he was glad the lessons in humility he had been given were so easy. Isn't that beautiful? It is. So this idea that like at the end of his life, he Mm -hmm. is still thanking the Lord for a tiny little bonk on the head to remind him that his place Mm -hmm. is not one of pride, Mm -hmm. but is one of humility. Mm -hmm. Uh, That spoke very loudly to me. And you see his maturity. Yes. Because that is not, not the beginning that is book. not when he's fearful. He's <laughs> very, is... very fearful, and he's so self-preserving. And you'll have to read it to find out you'll have to read it <laughs> because it is so good. <laughs> so, Rachel, I'm fond of including one final pitch at the end of an episode for the book I'm featuring. What would you say to someone who is on the fence about reading Loris? Okay, Beth. I just went to a wedding a couple weeks ago, and I pitched (laughs) Loris like 15 times. So I really streamlined it. Oh, good. My pitch. But so this is what I would say, you know, get past the medieval Russian plague crazy part, and you have yourself a beautiful story about the journey of a man, Mm -hmm. like growing and becoming a full human person. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing that makes Loris cool and unique is that it has this time travel element. There's modern things that are happening. The language is such that there's old words and new words intermixed. There's a lot of things that make it really an interesting and a compelling read. But ultimately, I am on pace to read 100 books this year, and this is probably my favorite book that I read this year. So that was probably the biggest pitch <laughs> I could give for it is like, I've read a whole bunch of books, and this is probably my favorite for the year. It is a book that stays with you. It does. It is not one that you will forget very quickly. We read it when in August? I think the first time we went through it was in July. Or the first or July, time I read it was in okay, July. July, mm-hmm. July and August, yeah, July August, and maybe. August, yeah. And I still think about it. Yeah. It's so vivid. You're not going to read this and part from it. Right. It, it, is it lingers. To, yes. As it should. <laughs> as it because should. it's so, it is so beautiful. Yeah. As I keep saying. So, mm. all right. To end. Okay. I like to ask a quick round of literary questions at the end of the episode for fun. What is the best book you've read in the last year? I think you've just answered it. (laughs) If I say anything but Loris now, I will be a stinking hypocrite. No, Loris was great. I loved it. Yes, it's definitely on my my top for the year. It is fantastic. Okay, what is your favorite book of all time? You can do, you can cheat, and you can do multiple. Okay, well, I was about to say that's like asking me which (laughs) of my favorite children 
which I do have one, but I'm not going to say it on the podcast. I have a favorite. Um, I only have one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have five. So it's a little bit more damning if I say yeah, yeah. my favorite. Um, okay. So I don't know. That's just, it's so hard. You know, this is the thing about, you know, books are like food, right? Yeah. We eat the food. It becomes our physical person. We eat the books. It becomes our mind. So to pinpoint and say like, this meal is the best meal I've had in the last 27 years. It's crazy. So top three. Maybe. Okay. Anne of Green Gables oh, yes. has got to be up there. Um, can I put the Little House series? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The oh. series of Little House, the entire thing. Yeah, because Lord Peter um, Whimsey series would be right I was about to there. say, if yeah. you just read one through seven, that's yeah. like, you know, a, a great a great read through. Yeah, man. I've just, I've been so much in children's lit for the oh, last I, couple of years. I so. love, that's some of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I would also probably put the uh, Isaac Asimov book of mm, letters, which I want to get, which I mentioned to you earlier, but he was a really prolific writer. He wrote something like 900 books in Good his, brief. in his career. And he wrote a book or I'm sorry, it's, it's just a compilation of letters that he wrote, even though they do think he wrote something like 30,000 letters in his career. Oh so it's the book's only this big. So it's not, it's like the best, you know, the cream of the crop. Yeah. Great book. I, uh, it's okay. called letters by Isaac, Isaac Asimov. Okay. A S I M O V. I'm going to have to get that. Okay. What is a book you haven't read, but have always meant to? And I've, I've shared before, still have not read Lord of the Rings, but I will. And I have two copies now. <laughs> <laughs> and the audio version. So it's going to happen. Yeah. At this point, uh, there's no reason not to read it. Man, this is so hard, Beth. I, You know, it's one of those things where it's like, once I decide to read it, I'm just, I'm going to read it. You're like, so good. Yeah, I have very few things on my TBR only because I don't put it on there until I know for sure I, I want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps it short. I don't know. I It probably would be some... No, I don't even know. I don't have an answer. Sorry. Pride and Prejudice. Mm, but see, that's the thing. Like, I, I love Austin now because I read my very yeah. first Austin book this year, but I've never wanted to read Pride and oh. Prejudice. That's why I never read it. Oh. This is the problem. I wasn't, I wasn't entranced. I just... You just didn't, you know, you didn't know. And you know this about me, Beth. As soon as you say, oh, I didn't like it. You shouldn't read it. I'm like <laughs> getting it tomorrow from the library to figure out why Beth doesn't like it. So no one's done that to me with Pride and Prejudice. So I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because they shouldn't. Because they shouldn't. Because be if ostracized. they did. <laughs> Austin sized. <laughs> I have a Jane Austen mug I have to show you before oh, you leave. I can't okay. <laughs> If you could invite any author or literary character to dinner, who would it be? You have, you could say like three to five people and what would you serve? Okay. Well, just for the sake of simplicity, I'm only going to save one. Okay. Because I read both of her autobiographies and her entire collected works in the last like two years. So I would meet with Beverly Cleary and I want to pitch why I love her so much. She's a librarian. And then she ended up writing children's books. And literally like she's sitting at her typewriter typing the first couple bits about Henry Huggins and he like she's like, oh, I need the annoying little sister, neighbor, sister, what should I call? And like the window is open and someone yells out the name Ramona. And she literally is like, tip, tip, Ramona. And you know, I think that's amazing. What a great way to name like your most famous literary character. Oh my goodness, I did not know that story. Yeah. So anyway, I love Beverly Cleary. Uh, She wrote all the Henry Huggins books. She wrote all of the Ramona Quimby series. Yeah. Um, And then she wrote a whole bunch of one-off books and then other smaller series. Mm -hmm. Um, She really is quite a prolific She's very, yeah. So what was her first book that she wrote? <clears throat> I don't know what her first okay. book is that she wrote. I do know that Emily's Runaway Imagination is a, a, like a fictionalized adaptation of her childhood. Because when I read her biography, I was like, this is so similar to you. And that's when I yeah, okay. figured out that. So she wrote it as a fiction book, but it is based largely on her childhood. Oh, wow. So. Okay. So when I was in first grade, 
I got for my birthday socks by Beverly Cleary. And that was the first chapter book I ever read. Socks. Mm-hmm. It's about a cat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aww. I probably couldn't comprehend all of it because I was sure. in first grade. <laughs> but, but you I remember sat, it. I sat at that kitchen table. And yeah. so I have loved Beverly Cleary. Yeah, I love Bill, but I think another reason is one of my children, or I, I, we have a couple of quirky, you know, uh, challenging educationally, like learning children. And if you read Beverly Cleary's books, you know that she know. she knows that kid. She does. She yeah. writes that kid correctly. I read her books and I'm like, that is my kid. Yes. And and so seeing that, like, they're not weird or no. crazy or badly behaved or something no. wrong with them. I think there's a validation there that. Yes. Yeah. I just really love her. And, yes. and her the way she sees real children. Yes. Have real conversations and do real yes. things. These are these are not little yeah. pretend. Yeah. Like <laughs> pretend uh, children. These yeah. are. They're like fictionalized so, children or something. They're the ones that you that you love when yeah. you meet in real life. Yeah. Yes. For sure. OK. Finally, do you have any book recommendations? Besides Loris to share. Yeah. The book that I'm reading right now that I'm really enjoying is called The Awakening of Miss Prim. Yes. Um, actually, I can't remember the name of the author. I'll have to Natalia San Martin Finiora, I think. Finiora. I think. It, she is Spanish and it was translated from Spanish. Do you realize that both of the books we're doing are translated. originated in a different language? Mm-hmm. It's a really lovely book about also one of Beth's recommendations mm-hmm. and the second time I'm reading it this year because it's just this beautiful life-giving book mm-hmm. about pursuing humanities. And when we think humanities, mm-hmm. you know, arts, music, literature, the things that make us truly human, the things mm-hmm. that make us feel the fullness of our humanity. That's what these mm-hmm. things are. And this book celebrates that and lauds that and kind of encourages you to find your own space like that in the mm-hmm. life that you're living now. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some big words there, especially for homeschool moms who are trying to set an as- mm-hmm. atmosphere of education and like, you know, breathing an atmosphere of peace and happiness and learning. And, you know, all of these, this atmosphere and aura that we want to give to our children a lot of that originates with our own self-betterment, our mm-hmm. own desire to educate ourselves and better ourselves. And so, you know, looking for books like that that help us to grow and help us to encourage others to grow, those are the kinds of books I like. So the book club that I'm part of with Rachel, they are so good. It's a it's a homeschooling moms book club, and they are so good about feeding the mother's soul with yeah. With good literature. Yep. And and just, just refilling my cup every time I go <laughs> is just amazing. Very life-giving. Yeah. Very, very life-giving. So the book that I would recommend, and I'm going to talk about it, well, when this airs, I will have talked about it, <laughs> <laughs> is the story of Holly and Ivy. And it's just a very sweet children's Christmas book by Rumor Godden. And it's absolutely delightful and just very oh, heartwarming. I love that. It's so sweet. It is coming up on Christmas. I know. When we when we are recording, when we're recording, this. yes, <laughs> not when be, you listen. So it'll, it'll be the dreary days of winter when it we're will listening be. to it. It will. But you know what is great to do in the dreary days of winter? Read Russian literature. Oh, that's my plan. Yeah, because you're just like you can you can feel uh-huh. the dreariness of their souls when you look out and it's dreary outside. So I'm planning to read the Brothers Karamazov <sighs> for the very first time because I have not read it awesome. and I have meant to. So that will be my dreary winter read. I'm, I'm reading Chekhov, so we can just call we, each other and cry, exactly. I guess. You would never believe who died this week. Oh, well, Rachel, thank you so much 
for being on the podcast. It is a delight. I always enjoy getting to pick Rachel's brain in book club because I I just feel like that we are very fortunate to have her as part of our book club because her thoughts and she sees things in books is just, it is amazing. And I am very fortunate also to be able to be invited to her house for tea often (laughs) for literary talk. And it is the highlight of my week and also my daughters Mm -mm. who who asks for your children. children. (laughs) All the time. Well, I just wanted to thank you, Beth, for an opportunity to talk about books because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. Me too. So thank you. You are so welcome. And thanks again. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. If you'd like to connect in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at WellReadBeth and at the WellRead Facebook group. And if you've enjoyed the show today and the podcast in general, would you consider leaving a rating or review? It's a small way that you can share the podcast with others. Thanks so much. I hope you have a wonderful week and that you're able to get your hands on a copy of Loris. Until next time. <laughs>